0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. War in the Middle East. What is this about, and can it ever be resolved? Today, in the third episode of a five-part series, we explore with Paul Cohen these questions. He's a Messianic Jew who lived in Israel in his 20s. Stay tuned. You can now find us and comment to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what matters to you, what triggers your joy, what bothers you in the world. Let us know. We'll see where the Spirit leads us. you are just now whether you're out for your evening constitutional where you're here in australia or back in the united states with friends or all by yourself with your headset on these episodes are going to last a little bit longer than usual stay with us i think you'll enjoy or be aggravated by each one of note the opinions are strictly my own and those of my guests This date in history, the 29th of October, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. In 1923, the Republic of Turkey was established, largely through the efforts of Kemal Ataturk, who is considered the country's founder and served as its first president. In 1929, just five days after nearly 13 million shares of the stock were sold in one day, An additional 16 million shares were sold this day called Black Tuesday, fueling the crisis known as the Great Depression. And in 1956, Israel invaded the Sinai Peninsula, took much territory, which they later returned to Egypt. As a direct result of the crisis, and in order to prevent further Soviet expansion in the region, Dwight Eisenhower, then president of the U.S., asked Congress nine weeks later for authorization to use military force, if asked, by any Middle Eastern nation to check aggression, and secondly, he asked for $200 million to help Middle Eastern countries that desired aid from the U.S. Congress granted both requests, and that's the historical marker of the week. What a wonderful world this would be. But is it? Right now we're glued to our televisions. And this in our third of five-part series discussing the war in Israel. Today we have Paul Cohen, a Messianic Jew who lives in Sydney and who is uh, very invested in Israel. He moved there from his native Netherlands when he was 20 years old. He met his wife there and they have been very involved in teaching about god's plan for the jewish people and for the land of israel for decades so over to you paul paul you and i met in 1995 here in sydney
1: but neither of us is from here where did you grow up I grew up in the Netherlands, and I lived there for some 20 years. Uh, After finishing high school, I moved to Israel, lived there for about a year, and met my wife there, and she originally came from Australia, so I ended up in Australia. Smart move. Why did you go to Israel
0: when you were 20?
1: My father is Jewish, my mother is not, and so there was a sense of, what do I do? Am I Jewish or am I not? And if so, what do I do with it? And so I wanted to study with the rabbis to find out if there was a God, because I grew up in, an, on a, one hand, on an atheistic home, uh, on my father's side, on my mother's side, everything is God and everything, every road leads to Rome. And so it was that, uh, is there a true God? And if he is there, is it does it belong to the Jews or is he bigger than that? So that's why I went to Israel, just to figure it out. Uh, what am I and what do I believe? Were you successful in the finding it out? Well, it took a little bit longer, but in the end, I hope I am, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your views, okay, when you were a kid, changed. They morphed when you went to a teenager, when you went to Israel, when you moved here to Australia. Do you think your views about Middle East will change over time again?
1: I don't think they will. They have changed dramatically in the past. I believe that all people were basically intrinsically good, but we did some bad things, uh, whatever background we had. And because of that, you know, all we had to do was love one another, sit around the campfire, and sing kumbaya, and we would be okay. But I no longer hold to that view. I don't think we are inherently good, and. While we do some good things, we also do lots of bad things, and we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. And so there needs to be a solution to that, and I don't think that solution of sitting around the campfire and singing kumbaya is really going to help, unless we could really all mean that, and I don't see that.
0: No, it, it takes an inner attitude change, not just the externals. And we've been watching with heartache, the war in the Middle East with various points of stress and distress. Is there a particular news outlet that you favor that is one that seems both balanced and one that lets your views be heard?
1: I'd like to say yes, but I don't think there really is. I, uh, Living in Australia, it's difficult to escape uh, the ABC and SBS here in Australia uh, and they are both not particularly pro-Israel. On the other hand, you have Sky News, which is much more pro-Israel, but not really balanced on other things. So, I'd like to take a little bit of all of them and and you know think it through a little bit.
0: My wife and I have been glued to the television. It is taking way too much time instead of gardening and pickleball. So, uh, but I'm but I'm trying to glean from everybody. And what about internet or friends in the land? Do you have connections there that you trust?
1: Yeah, sometimes people ask me, do I have family there? And I sometimes say 7 million brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And we do have lots of friends there. And some of them do live in the South. And it's really heartbreaking what is happening. And the pain that they shared... Uh, both uh, in emails and in, in phone calls is just hard rendering. It's it's how can this happen in a, particularly when we come from a Western society, when we think about those things, we think we've overcome those kind of hatreds. And it clearly isn't the case yet.
0: Hmm. If you were the ass- assigned mayor of Gaza City tomorrow, Uh, everybody in the land decided we need Paul Cohen. He will be the mayor of Gaza City, which is the preeminent city of the towns of Gaza Strip. And you're going to now solve the Israel-Palestinian crisis as president of Gaza. You've replaced Hamas. What would you do?
1: Uh, I'd do two things. First, I'll re-educate the people because the people have been so indoctrinated with a hatred of Jews, and that needs to stop. Uh, When I became a believer in Jesus, I became a Jew for Jesus, but I didn't become a Jew against people. And I think if we can get that hatred out of the system, we'll do much better.
0: You said two things you would do. The first is educate. What's the second?
1: And I think if we can sit then and talk, I think we could go a long way because the Gaza Strip used to be a beautiful place. Uh, Lots of greenery, lots of greenhouses, lots of beautiful beaches. So there's a real potential for the place. Sit around and and create peace. And we would have to get rid of the weapons. Uh, That has to stop uh, So there's there's a number of things that would happen with that. But the first thing is to re-educate, because as long as there's that continual input of hatred, you cannot make peace.
0: In the same way that the guns are not made in Gaza, but are made in Iran and other places around the globe, and then brought in so would education be coming from elsewhere that indoctrination you mentioned so how would we stop that
1: yeah that's that's a really good question and i i I don't know if i have the answer and i'm grateful that i'm not the president but i think uh, people who bring in uh, the wealth to print that kind of material or to set up those kind of websites uh, that needs to be stopped. Um, the hatred that has been brought in with that.
0: Really is ugly. So you've experienced pain from friends who've commented to you that they're suffering. In st- I remember preaching in Steyrot about uh, 10 years ago, and then going up onto that hill overlooking Gaza and praying with some other friends for the gaza situation i remember standing there thinking this is so very close why can't we just i I didn't think of kumbaya but why couldn't we just meet together and pray together and i mean you've seen that in various situations where people who've been radically opposed to one another find some solution and then pray together what's that solution that they find
1: Sometimes I think the solution can be found in the story of Jesus. He is that child that is born in the Middle East. He's of Middle Eastern background, and he is called the Prince of Peace. And through him, we both make peace with God, but peace with one another. Because the God of Israel isn't just a God for Jews. He's the God for all people, for God so loved the world that he wants to save every single individual the last couple of weeks I've been preaching in a in a congregation on the story of Jonah, and the story of Jonah is is often focused on this this whale. Uh, it's a fishy tale, but it's really not about the fish. it's three verses on the fish. It's about a God who wants to redeem people, people who are deeply uh, like Isis, like Hamas, who are vile. And God sends a Jewish prophet to, to redeem them. And he's reluctant. And yet God sends the spirit of grace and repentance upon them too. And I think that's what we need. That, that coming together in that one person, the person of Jesus, who can bring that peace to all of us. I'm a little confused. Jesus or Jonah? Both. We need to hear the call of Jonah in that we need to actually go even and pray for our enemy. And we is that why?
0: To... Is that why Jonah was reluctant? You use that word. He's reluctant to go to the Assyrians there in Nineveh.
1: Well, if we read through historical records about the Assyrians, they did the same thing that we saw that Hamas did and that ISIS did. So I think there's huge parallels there, and I think just as Jonah was reluctant, we are reluctant to extend the hand to the palestinians now but they too are suffering and we need to extend our hand to even our enemies and say hey we can make peace now their version of jesus is different than the biblical story he died and rose again and that's the 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 sign of jonah but he came so that we don't have to slaughter our children our sons on the battlefield Do you
0: think there's hope
1: for peace in the Middle East? I believe there is hope. I think we can work together if there is a willingness to do so. And as somebody who now has come to see Jesus as the Messiah, I believe that he will come back and be king. And that includes king over the Middle East. So I think the day that he will reign, as in Psalm 2, he will reign with a a scepter of iron, and he will reign in peace and righteousness. So I think it is possible, but I think today we can start extending the hand. Uh, with, With some things you cannot make peace, and extending hands needs to happen on both sides. But when that happens, as for instance the Abrahamic Accords, peace can come. At
0: least when people speak to each other, That's better than shoot at one another.
1: Yeah. Uh, We need to talk and we need to extend the hand. And that kind of honesty within the process needs to happen. Uh, When people cannot see the facts that are so plainly true, but continue to tell a lie after a lie after a lie, then at some stage that communication breaks down. And so we need to be based in truth
0: there are two historic and i'll say torah informed methods of dealing with the situation that we see in the middle east one very clearly the second not so clearly the first is this idea of the thorn in the side or thorn in the flesh it's a phrase that's used in the book of numbers the book of joshua and the book of judges And it says that if you, Joshua, actually, but it's told to Moses, if you don't rid the land of Canaan of the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, et cetera, et cetera, these seven nations that composed the land we today call Israel, they will be to you as a thorn in the side or a splinter when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And splinters are so annoying because you've got your whole hand or your whole feet and everything's fine except for that one little piece. And that's all you can think about. Uh, The word thorn, the the phrase thorn in the side, of course, is used by the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian letter. As he says, "I, I really sought God to get rid of this thorn in the side that I had. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Most people think that thorn in the side has to do with some malady in Paul's body. But three times that phrase is used biblically about people. So I think it has to do with the legalizers who came after him and and for whom he wrote the Galatian letter. That's one way to deal with these troublesome people is go wipe them out. I don't know that the press corps around the world would say, good job, Israel, clearing two million people. Gazans.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think we can. And so that solution is not going to work. And right. so I believe that being a democratic nation that Israel is, it needs to provide a space for everybody, whether they're Jews or Arabs or Christians or Muslims or, or whatever their background is.
0: None of the above.
1: Or none of the above. And that's okay, too. Everybody should have rights in the land.
0: So you're saying a one-state solution is okay. a, is enough because if everybody has a passport and everybody has rights to the airport and to free work, and, and not free work, but have freedom to work,
1: that's fine.
0: So you're and not if, for a two-state solution.
1: I'm not for a two-state solution. Uh, there are already two states within the territory that used to be called... Uh, Palestine it's Jordan and Israel and if you want to live in an Arab state you can live in Jordan if you want to live in a Jewish state you can live in Israel but wherever you live you got to abide by the rules and you got to do that there and here wherever you live so I think there is enough space in the land to accommodate all peoples but we do need to live with each other in peace
0: The uh, second Torah-informed method of dealing with some situations we're seeing is the accidental death of a person and the setting up of the cities of refuge. If you, God forbid, Paul, should kill Larry, then Larry's brother should go to, to revenge you, right? Well, Mm-hmm. To prevent that happening back and forth and back and forth, the Hatfields, the McCoys, they set up these cities of refuge where justice could be meted out. Where you, accidentally killing Larry, run to the city of refuge and find peace and calm, so that when Larry's brother rocks up, they can uh, they can have a proper justice, a mediatorial location. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Gaza, or neither Gaza nor Israel, is interested in a mediation. Certainly Hamas is not.
1: Yeah, and I think that's right. Not at this point. Uh, there is that possibility to talk. The pain at this point is too great.
0: wonder but if, if th- the Saudis could do it. I wonder if they could have it in Riyadh.
1: Uh, well, I think so. At, at some stage, you need to sit down and talk. Uh, There are two million uh, Palestinians that live in the Gaza Strip. It is a tiny fraction of the Arab peoples across the Middle East, and it would be easy to absorb them somewhere. Or if they want to live there, if they live in peace with Israel, it wouldn't be an issue. But it has to be in peace. And that city of refuge can apply to them even in Gaza, but it needs to be in peace.
0: Paul, is there anything else you want to say to the worldwide Bob's Your Uncle podcast community?
1: Well, I I don't know who listens to your podcast, but there is one thing that really irks me on this whole process that we're seeing now. Being a Bible believer, I see lots of churches that are ambivalent to Israel or even have said it is irrelevant what is happening. And that irks me. I hope that they too will see the significance of God's promises, like the Abrahamic Covenant or the Land Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, even the New Covenant—all covenants made with the Jewish people, because God did not reject His people. And so I pray that they will remember that God will not forget His people. Isaiah forty-four twenty-one that he'll bring them back into his own land, uh, like Ezekiel 36 says. And so I pray that they will stand with the Jewish people for peace and justice, and that they will recognize that he's not yet finished with them.
0: Thanks, Paul. May we have peace as we continue to serve the Prince of Peace together. Amen. What do you think about all this? Why don't you write me, Bob Mendo at aol.com, or comment on an Instagram or TikTok to me? I'd love to know what you're thinking. Every week we read from A portion of the bestseller the number one bestseller of all time the bible and today's no different from the gospel of john the words of yeshua himself peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do i give to you don't let your heart be troubled don't let it be afraid Thanks for being with me today and with my friend Paul as we shared together about some biblical aspects as Messianic Jews of this crisis. Come back tomorrow. We're gonna have Malik Dixon, who was born in the United States and has lots of views, including a very pro-Palestinian one about this current conflict. He is well-informed having lived over there and has studied social sciences for decades. Don't miss episode four of this five-part series. When things seem bleak or uncertain, look up to God. He's in his heaven, and Bob's your uncle. Shalom.